The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 143. One day, I shall come back. And that's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart, even. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Physician, this. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Invisible Enemy. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? Very well. Guys, before we get started, I have a, a very important thing I want to recall to you, uh, something from our, for the, an, today's an important date, let's put it that way. As we record this, you're, you're listening to this a couple weeks after we've recorded it. But today marks the fifth anniversary from when we first rec- recorded the first episode of Secrets of Doctor Who. Oh, oh yay. Wow. Yeah, well, this was uh, back when uh, Father Roderick and Stephanie were joining us, and Father Roderick was hosting. And we our first episode was the first Peter Capaldi episode uh, where he showed up. Uh, well, first full episode after the regeneration. Yep. And uh, so we've been doing this for five years, and it's... It's it's been a blast. I have to say yeah. that. Yeah. It, so if the and, pod, uh, podcast is five years old now, it'll be going into first grade next year. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll homeschool this podcast. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> uh, and and if you're just the first joining us for a podcast, if this is your first episode, I do want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app. Well, we're now on iHeartRadio, uh, just to let you know that, so that you can get our podcast there now. Uh, we also po- post it to the SQPN YouTube channel, where if you subscribe to that channel, make sure to hit the bell so you get notified when a new episode goes up. Uh, so today, like I said, we're talking about The Invisible Enemy, a Doctor Who uh, story that stars Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor. It first aired in October of 1977, and it's for... Four parts, four episodes, mm-hmm. as, as they call yep. them. Four and, short parts. Uh, These are like twenty-two minute episodes. Yeah, and and a couple things that um, mark this episode. Well, one is his companion is Leela, so that's she's still his companion at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get the introduction of a very famous part of Doctor Who's uh, canon, the Doctor Who uh, universe. Uh, this marks the first episode in the introduction of K nine. Yep. Yeah, the, the first the and only dog. good, the first and only good robot companion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mickey's tin little tin dog. Yes, the little tin dog that we get in uh, the tenth Doctor's time. Uh, so uh, we'll talk about that as we go along about K nine. And uh, but the other thing that it marks this episode, and I'm a little bit of a disadvantage because I haven't seen. Uh, the prior season of this of the mm-hmm. fourth Doctor. So, but apparently, this uh, episode oh. marks the return of a tar- Tardis console room. Yeah, uh, because of some behind the scenes problems that they exactly. 
Yeah. Exactly. So originally, from the very beginning of the show, we had this kind of white control room with roundels on the walls, and then they would have various knickknacks, like a hat rack and stuff, standing there. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that had been the look of the show with variations ever since the beginning. But then in the previous season or so, they introduced a different control room that was had it was like wood. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had all these earth tones. It had a kind of Jules Verne aesthetic to it. Yep. Um, and, and it was neat. It was considered, it was like the secondary control room that the yep. doctor hadn't used in a long time and we had never seen it before and they yep. used it for a while. And then between the seasons, they stored the sets and they like warped and couldn't be fit back together. So they had to because come up with a, a revised <laughs> version of the original control room, which then remained the standard through the entire rest of the original classic who run we didn't mm-hmm. get a, a major new redesign of the control room until uh the 2005 revival with um christopher eccleston's doctor well technically we got um, a, a oh yes that's true in the, the tv movie, movie. The TV movie. Yeah. yeah yeah which really kind of inspired uh, all of the new who uh control rooms from that because it really set kind of set a standard yeah uh, although for, it looked better yeah, yes. I, I, agree. I didn't like. I'm not a fan of the new Who control rooms. Yeah, there were, uh, there's one bet the twelfth Doctor had that I thought was pretty was okay, but I didn't like the ninth Doctors, the ninth and tenth Doctors ones, and uh, I don't like the new one. Yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> no, I think we're kind of so, <laughs> we're kind of in agreement on that one. Yeah, I think we've all we've all agreed. Uh, so as the episode begins, the we, we start off on this ship that's traveling, uh, the human ship traveling. Through uh, what well, looks like a very crowded asteroid belt, as we've talked yeah. about, how asteroid belts in science fiction are way more crowded than they should be. Yeah. Um. And uh, we we have these three astronauts, two of them hanging out in some easy chairs. I noticed <laughs> little yeah. lazy boy recliners on that ship. Uh. And they encounter this strange phenomenon. Uh. This it's actually kind of cool special yeah. effect for what they were able to do back then. It's not a digital special effect. Um. It's a camera effect that they've done. Um, where the something affects them, and they intone this this line, which will become important for the rest of the episode. Contact has been made, and and so we we hear that several times. So they, the ship encounters this issue. Then on the TARDIS, we have this brief banter between Leela and the Doctor about this new old control room. And um, I, I thought the Doctor had an interesting line here. He comments on how he likes humans, but when they get together in great numbers, other life forms sometimes suffer. Uh, yeah, he has this, mm-hmm. this this line here, and he explains we're about the year five thousand, which is the year of the great breakout when humans begin to colonize other star systems, and so some of that colonization is what he's thinking about when humans right. get together in large numbers. It doesn't always go well for everybody else. Incidentally, the year five thousand in Classic Who is something we've already heard about. Uh, in the Talons of Wing Chiang, which is another Leela era mm-hmm. serial, we encounter, even though it's set in the 19th century, we encounter villains from the 51st century when mm. the evil dictator Magnus Greel does stuff. And there's a Sixth World War where the Icelandic alliance falls before <laughs> Filipino forces and stuff like that. Um, so it really has to be a world war if you've got Iceland and, and the Philippines fighting each other. Um, <laughs> given how far apart they are. Yes. Um, yes. and then in, in New Who, this is, this is the beginning of the century that 
Jack Harkness comes from and right. that River Song comes from. And so we're kind of at a central historical nexus for the Doctor Who timeline. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And wasn't there um, with the Doctor, the, uh, the 12th Doctor and Bill, where they were on a space station that was in the th- this time period? Remember. General remember time that. period, I think. I don't remember yeah. the specific century. Okay. In any case, uh, the ship, the, this this human ship lands on a, a base on the the moon, the Jupiter moon Titan, Saturn. And, so, I'm sorry, Saturn. I, I knew I was going to get that wrong. <laughs> I should have written <laughs> it down. Uh, the I like the fact that this ship, which again, this is 1977 when they made this, looks a lot like an American space shuttle, which yeah. had not yet flown. Uh, it, which it, is a few years away. It also looks a bit like the Eagle from Space 1999, and in fact, mm-hmm. the Titan set they use yes. is from Space 1999, the Jerry Anderson series. Mm. Oh, was it? Uh, yeah, because um, I noticed that when the, when the the shuttle lands and then it goes down a platform underground, yeah, uh, that was very much like an e- one of the Eagles on Space 1999. I love those things. Those are really cool. (laughs) But something else to notice about the series, I I really like the visual aesthetic they have Mm -hmm. that they've set up. It looks genuinely futuristic, uh, given the budget they have. I like how the signs are all spelled phonetically. So instead of emergency exit, it will say emergency exit. And yeah. uh, airlock has no K on it and things like that. So uh, in the script, apparently, this version of English was described as Finglish, uh, where everything <laughs> is phonetically spelled out. So emergency with a J and exit with a G instead of an X. Hmm. Um, you can imagine that over 3,000 years that the language, you know, as the spelling of the language would would evolve. I mean, it's certainly... In the past, just a couple hundred years, spelling English spelling has evolved. So yeah, yeah. well, I mean, compare it even you know what five hundred, six hundred years ago since Shakespeare, yeah. how much right. has changed, and since the invention of texting, spelling has evolved mm. <laughs> That's right. or devolved, yeah. as the case may be. <laughs> de- yeah. Devolved might be something else to notice uh, that kind of struck me, given my own weight loss journey, is how thin everybody is because we really get to see yeah. it in this serial. Um, because they're all wearing this futuristic, tight-fitting plastic clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it's not normal baggy clothing that hides a person's figure. You can see everybody's figure. And with the exception of Dr. Marius, who we'll meet later, everybody, man or woman, is quite thin by modern standards. But yep. that's hmm. just normal. These were not really thin people back then. In 1977, people were genuinely thinner. These people are at a normal, healthy weight. And that mm-hmm. shows what's happened with our diets under the influence of bad government advice and marketing in the subsequent <laughs> decades. If you want to learn more about that, the episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on the Mystery of Weight Loss yeah. would be a good place to start. So, the, so these astronauts come off their their shuttle, their their spaceship, and they're they're apparently relieving a crew who are already there. You know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're meeting up with them, and they show up wearing their helmets on uh, carrying uh, blaster pistols or, or, or of some mm-hmm. sort and shoot this crew that they're supposed to be replacing meanwhile there's a you know they lift up their visors that after they shoot them and we see that they have these white scaly stuff on their around their eyes and bushy and, eyebrows really you know, excessively bushy white eyebrows yep right and we get we get uh, from dialogue that there uh, some kind of alien species has taken over these these humans the bodies 
and they're going to use Titan to breed their race of some sort. Yeah, what I don't get is why they immediately try to kill everybody. Um, because right. they're, they can infect people with this lightning that comes out of their faces. And so why don't they just infect these people instead? Uh, which is what they do later. Which is what they do later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, that didn't make sense. And that, well, you know, I mean, for plot reasons, but, but yeah, as, as far as for the story, it didn't make sense. So there is a supervisor on the station mm-hmm. who isn't with the other astronauts who notices what they're doing and sends out a distress signal. Yep. By the way, did you recognize the supervisor, yep. the actor? He is uh, Admiral Ozzel from The Empire Strikes Back. So Michael yep. Sheard. Hmm. He also plays uh, Hitler in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh. Oh, did he? Okay. So, yeah, he has a very brief. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it's a really funny scene. Uh, Indiana Jones has this book, and he just bumps into Hitler on the street as a <laughs> Hitler's marching by somewhere. and. At a book he, burning. Yeah, at, and he hands him this book, yeah. and Hitler thinks he wants an autograph and signs it and hands it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's yeah, his fa- Indiana Jones' father's journal that, that guides him to the uh, Holy Grail. So Hitler has signed that. <laughs> I was trying to forget about that scene. Yeah, 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 it's a very funny scene. Then they've got a little a little monkey that does the Heil Hitler salute. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. So Michael Sheard does actually a pretty good job in this, and he ends up, um, he'll, he'll end up getting infected by the aliens and sort of being the leader of, the uh, the of the aliens here, but I I like how how he does in this this uh, this episode. So the the doctor hears the distress signal that comes from the Titan base, and, and uh, as and, want- and as he's listening to it, Leela has a chalkboard in the TARDIS control room, and she's carefully practicing writing her name. So yep, Leela right. is learning to read. She's from a savage future world and stuff. So she had no education in in this in writing, and so she's learning her name. And her letters, and that's going to become a little bit important later. An interesting thing: the actress uh, Louise Jameson, who plays Leela, is right-handed, but she chose to write Le- to play Leela left-handed, so she would seem more naturally awkward writing her oh, name. That makes yeah. sense. That makes a lot that's, of sense. And I like the fact that they have this moment of her trying to write her name to really because the fact that she's comes from this primitive race, and yeah. you know that she's a, sort of this savage people as the doctor calls it uh that's important to the plot and so uh, they're re- re- reinforcing for the audience remember who leela really is yeah i mean she's she's very smart and you you see her in episodes being at sometimes an equal to the doctor but there's still that that savage uh, yeah right man type idea she will totally kill you yeah, <laughs> yes. and, and she's She'll... sort of the wharf of doctor who yeah um yeah also... she's ready to kill <laughs> yeah also, we're way in her past. The doctor makes a point of telling her that here in the year 5000, we're in the time of your ancestors. So she's from a time after the Great Breakout when space mm-hmm. has been colonized and other star systems have been colonized and then their civilizations have collapsed. And that's right. why she's yep. from a savage world. Yeah, I, I was trying to find, I can't find at least in, in any of the, like the wikias or anything like that, when Leela came from. It's just sometime in the way future. Is all yeah, that it right. really shows. So she senses this evil in the presence of the, you know, in the voice of the the, the distress signal. So they hear a distress signal, they're going to it, and then they get a new signal that says, no, no, all everything's fine down here. We just had a weapons discharge and uh, <laughs> don't need to send anyone down. And the, she and senses the, vo- the presence of evil in the voice that the doctor doesn't sense. The second voice that says everything's okay. Yeah. 
and then they run into this same alien presence that surrounded the spaceship, surrounds the TARDIS. It looks like swirling clouds with lightning and yeah. done on a 1977 TV budget. It's actually quite effective for the time. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. And the Doctor is affected by this, but Leela, for some reason, isn't. So we have this interesting moment. And then when the, doc- the Doctor wakes up, and he isn't making any sense, uh, more than usual. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and also, I like the fact that he refuses to believe Leela's intuition. Like, he sort of just dismisses her, her sense that something is very wrong. Yeah. Which, which is a refreshing change from Modern Who, where the Doctor is always right. Yes. Also, when he to give you an example of when he's just kind of babbling and not making any sense, he he says, "I, I got a a bot of a shick," yes. and and I I I had to think about that for a second because it's almost a spoonerism. A spoonerism is where you take the first two syllables right. or the first two uh, morphemes, the sounds of of yep. words, and swap them. And this is attributed to an Anglican clergyman named Reverend Spooner. So a spoonerism of his name would be Speverend Runer, and he he said that uh, retirement came to him as a blushing crow, um, and, and 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 what you have here a bot of a shick is not a spoonerism, but it's a variant where instead of swapping the first two sounds, you swap the vowels inside the mm. words. So a bot of a shick is a bit of a shock. Just yes, right. A a a, a bot of a shake. Uh, th- there is um, there's a moment where he talks about Sanimal's fire that surrounds the mm-hmm. the doc. That she she saw this glow around him, and he says, uh, "Oh, it's a kind of Sanimal's fire, which happens at sea. The ma- massive mm-hmm. ships get a, a, a electrical disturbance uh, as they move through a uh, clouds, clouds, and that sort of thing." Uh, there's a couple of funny moments here where uh, she parrots him, and he gets mad, and that sort of thing. Uh, but um. But he has no problem calling her a savage. I, I noticed that. Like, mm-hmm. well, that's you're, you're just a savage. Uh, of course, uh, he could like uh, say that to anybody who's not a time lord. Right, right, right. And he'll do it several times. In fact, this this episode where mm-hmm. um, where he kind of calls her on her her violent nature uh, in 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 these different circumstances. Like, hey, I'm not ashamed of who I am. Uh, and 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 I can tell you, I. I can sense that there's evil and danger here. Right. So there's very interesting interactions between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the- well, and and not only is I mean, not only does Leela get to be right about sensing evil, she proposes the ultimate plan that gets them out of the situation, and the doctor dismisses it until uh, he does but it. Event, until he does it, <laughs> and takes credit for it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The so uh, when they're once they're on tar- the TARDIS uh, base. The doctor stumbles on these others who are already infected, and they they whammy him with the 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 so he's, he, yeah so he's basically kind of getting hit twice with the alien presence, um, and so he starts you know acting like them like he's been taken over by the alien, and, and um, he has a unique role because as soon as he gets infected, actually the space lightning hits the TARDIS console first, and mm-hmm. then it jumps to the doctor. And right. it tries to mess with Leela, but doesn't affect her for some reason. We, the, but as soon as the doctor's infected, the guys on the station hear this voice that says, the nucleus has found a host. So the doctor is carrying the nucleus of, mm-hmm. uh, of this infection. And Leela, we also learn, has been rejected. And so she is to be killed because she's been rejected for some reason. We don't know why yet. Right. 
And this is the first time I can remember, there may be previous instances, but this is the first time I can remember where the doctor tries to kill a companion. It is not mm. the last, but it is <laughs> no. the first time I can think of that that a doctor tries to kill a companion. So you could imagine how frightening that would be for the kids in the right. audience. I mean, Tom Baker is this likable hero guy, and now he's trying to kill Leela. Mm. Mm. Just at, at least he wasn't under in his own control, unlike the sixth doctor. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, so he's, he's, he's also, they tell him that he's carrying the nucleus and he cannot be harmed, which is an important uh, plot point because that makes, means the doctor is able to, especially once he gets control of himself again, he gets a little more uh, freedom uh, mm-hmm. from, from, danger, you know, from the danger of being attacked. But he's carrying the nucleus, which means he's the, uh, the host for whatever this species needs in order to, to start breeding itself. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, the Leela, meanwhile, had gone off, and she's, she's found the supervisor who was hiding from the others. And uh, uh, you know, the supervisor says the others are changed, and, um, and, he sa- and she says, how? Oh, their behavior. And I'm thinking, yeah, not to mention all the stuff on their face. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how do you know? Oh, they're acting strange. Yeah, yeah. well, then they got the thing on the face. And then Leela, she stabs one of the uh, infected in the back. And then goes after him. Yeah, that goes for the doctor. Um, and But before the, that one she stabs dies, uh, the supervisor kind of stands over him, looks at his face, and gets whammied with the contact has yep. been made. And... Uh, and then this this is where the first episode ends, where the Doctor's sneaking up on Leela with this furry alien hand coming after her. To kill her. Yep. With a gun. Yes. And as the next episode starts, we hear the Doctor's internal monologue, which is an interesting, as he's trying to fight mm-hmm. the infection of this alien species, uh, which, of course, he wins. But he has to go catatonic yep. to you know, gather strength for his fight. Yeah. Um, he he goes into meditation to to slow down and stop the infection because he figures out the more he thinks, the more control this thing gets. So the solution right. is to stop thinking. Right, right. But you can't do that forever. Exactly, exactly. Don't think about the pink elephant. Uh, mm. The <laughs> the uh, supervisor now, uh, I keep forgetting his name, Lowe, I think his, his name is. Lowe, yes. Um, he's hiding the fact that he's been taken over. Uh, from from Leela, he's wearing these this visor that covers his yeah. altered Says face. Says he got caught, caught a part of a laser blast and it damaged his eyes, so he's wearing the visor. And so he suggests that they need to take the doctor to another place in the solar system called the Bial Fa- Foundation in the asteroid belt, where he's going to get treated because they want to save the host because of the nucleus. They need to save the doctor, but they're not. Af- I thought I thought it was odd that they're not afraid of being found out. Like as soon as someone examines, starts examining them medically, not finding that they're there, that they've taken over these people. So I thought that was interesting. Well, the so Lowe's plan is to he's going to infect people at the Bial Foundation, but they're not worried about the doctor getting found out because, as we learn, once they get to the Bial Foundation, the nucleus is not like a physical thing that's easily detectable. It's like a mental virus rather than a mm. physical virus. Right. Um, also, I don't think they explain on screen what Bial stands for, but in the, in some spinoff literature, because guess what? There's a big finished sequel to this. <laughs> um, we later learn it's called Revenge of the Swarm. 
Um, we, we learned that, uh, Bial stands for like alien biology foundation or something like that. Center for alien biomorphology. Alien biomorphology. All right. Uh, then why isn't it Al Bai? <laughs> uh, well, I thought about that, and maybe by the year 5000, English is flipped to become a head-first language, like Spanish. Oops. So and so you have the modifier after the, the noun that heads it. Okay, okay. Anything in, in 3,000 years, anything can happen. But what <laughs> hasn't changed in 3,000 years is that hospital registration systems are still awful. <laughs> and and they use the red cross symbol on the outside of this of the hospital which yeah. looks it's built into an asteroid and i think it looks really cool to have this oh, yeah. glo- globby asteroid with all these windows in it like yep. a beehive exactly and uh and so leela ha- is having to uh, check in the doctor uh and uh she's asked plates of origin uh she says gallifrey ireland oh i expect so that's <laughs> yeah. what she says yeah. <laughs> uh it, so and then then in the exam room where the doctor's being checked out, we see K nine for the first time, and he's helping this Professor Marius who runs the Bial Foundation, yeah. who's treating he the is, doctor. He is an ex- expert in extraterrestrial pathological endomorphisms. Yes, and uh, there is an endless number of morphisms here. Uh, and they <laughs> sc- they scan the doctor and they find this viral infection in the brain um, that's affecting his behavior, which makes it. A mind control parasite, the <laughs> exactly. subject yep. of an, of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World ep- <laughs> episode in week. September. So. Yeah, L- yeah, lots of connections. <laughs> I think the one this Friday. Though, so uh, so check it out. Uh, it might be this Friday, it might be last Friday, depending on how these things come out. But uh, so, but in the exam room, the doctor wakes up and he meets K nine for the first time, and the K nine is actually the professor's computer because yeah. mm-hmm. this is you know, this is the era in which computers were these independent things like that. Uh, but the doctor treats it like a puppy dog. You know, he's yeah. like, oh, good boy, good boy. Uh, which Doc, Dr. Marius explains that on Earth he always had a dog, but it the weight requirements up here in space wouldn't allow that. I assume he means bringing food up for the dog because canine has got to weigh more than a normal dog. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so he got canine as a substitute. And canine is basically an Alexa that looks like a dog and that has can shoot you dead. Yes. Yep. Um, so kind of a combination multifunction Swiss Army knife thing. I also like uh, Professor Marius's initial reaction to the doctor, just based on his bohemian clothing. He thinks the doctor is one of those good-for-nothing space nicks. <laughs> space hippie. <laughs> so, uh, which really actually is not far off the mark, uh, frankly. But <laughs> It's not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we find out that Leel is unaffected by this virus because it's an a, 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 an intellect virus. It goes after the intellect, and as they, as the doctor says, she's all instinct and intuition from because she's a savage race. Uh, which, mm. although they later call that into question, because it seems that Leela has a biological marker that makes her immune yes. that then gets shared with the doctor. Right, the, which is the ultimate solution is 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 that that biological marker. So yeah, well, it's it's, in, it's interesting too that they they explain the re, that the. The virus first went after the TARDIS console because it was the biggest intellect it could find, and then it yeah. found the doctor. Right. Yeah, the TARDIS was thinking more, and the doctor was just standing there staring off into space, so it went for the TARDIS. And <laughs> one more early confirmation of the TARDIS as a living, thinking being. That's right. That's right. And since the yep. TARDIS got infected, that's the reason there's a sequel. Oh. Because that infection stays there dormant in the TARDIS until the time of the seventh Doctor when it hatches out again. 
Oh, see, I was Ooh, just about to bring that up because, like, if if it was in the TARDIS console, the contact has been made. I, I, I so that's interesting. Someone else thought of that first. Uh, so Marius is trying to find out while Leela, why Leela is immune, and nothing turns up. So he decides to operate, uh, but they're in, interrupted by the swarm, the so-called invisible enemy, which infects the shuttle pilots and causes a shuttle to crash into the asteroid and thus disrupting everything. Um, and that gives low the opportunity he's been infecting people to get them on his side and uh and, and so that gives them the opportunity to start attacking they've cu- they've cut the doctor and marius and the, and his assistants off from the rest of the station and so leela holds them off while marius decides to clone the doctor and leela in short-lived replicants uh which apparently also includes cloning clothes and memories and all the other stuff mm-hmm. Yeah, and and this is – so scientifically, this is interesting. Now, when this was made in 1977, Dolly the Sheep had not been cloned yet. Right. Uh, So cloning was still science fiction, but it was something people were thinking about. And the doctor asks K-9 for a history of cloning so he can figure out what the current state of the art is. And K-9 says the first successful cloning experiment was in uh, the year 3922. And I'm going, how about 1990? approximately (laughs) right (laughs) Um, about two thousand years earlier um but uh, apparently what they may mean is this specific type of cloning where you get the this short-lived really perfect carbon copy clone that has all your memories and physical attributes and doesn't take 40 years to grow into you Mm-hmm. Um, Marius later mentions that they could make permanent, long-lasting clones, but it would take years. And so right. apparently they have th- – it's it's two different types of cloning. The type we're familiar with where a clone has to grow from a zygote into you as an adult um, and and doesn't have your memories but has completely different life experiences. And then this clone, which is like psychically bonded to you and because of that's how it gets your memories because it's psychically bonded to you but that's also why it only lives for 10 minutes because that mm-hmm. psychic stress causes it to burn out mm. okay okay uh, by the way i also i also liked how um when uh low because he's got his visor on claiming he had a, a laser accident so his eyes are damaged he goes to see the eye doctor right. and so when when he lifts his his uh, visor so the eye doctor can look at his eyes, that's when he face lightnings him. Yep. Um, also, I like how when Leela is looking for the doctor, um, she's heard over the loudspeaker or from someone else that he's in level X4. And so we see her, since she was practicing her name earlier, we see her running her finger along a sign on the wall that says level 4x so she's sounding it out in her mind right. to figure out this is where the doctor is so interestingly also all of the signs we see in the hospital they'll say like level 4x level 2x level 3x but on the loudspeaker it's always flipped it's always level x4 level x3 level x2 hmm interesting uh, maybe it's that that head uh, head first thing yeah head first thing yeah uh, someone must have thought that out. Uh, so, the, <laughs> or it could be an accident. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, it's the, probably the, more likely. The, the writer, the the person who set up the sets, didn't listen to the writer, and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the doctor, with the 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 whole point of the clones is that the doctor and Leela clones are shrunk down and injected into his body 
uh, inner space style or, uh, or the fantas- fantastic, fantastic voyage. Fantastic voyage style, yes. Uh, without he, a ship. <laughs> this is really clearly inspired by a fantastic voyage because they're even, he, he's planning on the clones coming out the tear duct, which is what happens yep. in Fantastic Voyage. Right, right. Are we going to be soon watching a first Doctor story where they're shrunk down? Or they're yes, tiny. Yes. Yeah. Not this. Not that small. But yes. Yeah. Okay. That it's a tiny doctors is going to be a thing uh, again. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also notice when they're injected, we mm-hmm. see Le- the clones of Leela and the Doctor in this swirling blue vortex, and right. so yep. I can only assume that that's because Time Lords, being lords, are true blue bloods. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so. Uh, so the the clone Leela and the clone Doctor, as the as the third par- uh, episode, the third part of the story begins, are in the Doctor's brain. And uh, uh, meanwhile, we find out that Leela is immune again. They say, but not because of her, of a physical factor, but because of her predator instinct. Although they contradict that later. Uh, the the clone Doctor, I'm just going to refer to him as the Doctor because it'll be yeah. confusing otherwise. Says his brain doesn't you know it doesn't look like the most advanced computer system ever. And and I'm saying that's because brains aren't computers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, co- a common fallacy that uh, people think try to think of brains in, in terms of computers. Your your brain is not a computer. I, I like how in this episode, and this is something that I noticed as I was watching it. Each this this series really moves along. Yeah. There is not mm-hmm. a lot of downtime in this. Um, it's it's a fun action adventure series and. It, it the plot moves quite quickly for Doctor for Classic Era Doctor Who, and each of the four parts is set in a different location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, this this uh, series involved more model building than anything else. So, like the first one, it's set on on Titan. Yep. The second episode is set in in the hospital in the asteroid belt. The third episode is set in the Doctor's brain. Mm-hmm. Which is 1970s visual special effects land with lots of <laughs> matte paintings and structures and things that are really yes. cool to look at, but not biologically that realistic. And then in the fourth one, we go back to Titan, and so we we've got right. multiple different locations we're jumping between. I like in the brain the cool unrealistic brain imagery. At one mm-hmm. point, the Doctor and Leela are standing there in the brain, and this ball of light goes by, and Leela says, what's that? And he says, just a passing thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also thought, given the speed they're walking through the brain, they're never going to get where they're going in 10 minutes. Right, right. No. <laughs> so the Doctor says uh, at, at at this point that Time Lord brains have the ability to tune themselves into the, the Time Lord intelligentsia, but that he lost the ability when he was exiled. Uh, yeah, is this something that ever occurs anywhere else? This tuning? yeah, not with exactly that language, but yes, on Gallifrey they have this thing called the Matrix, which mm-hmm. is like a supercomputer that houses all of the Time Lord experiences and katras or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they can enter the Matrix, and that happens in a in several episodes. Okay, okay, interesting. We we do see uh, it back in the real world or outside the Doctor's head. That uh, canine is can be taken over by the 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 swarm. They they do get the lightning whammy on him, um, mm-hmm. and and he's sent to kill Leela. Uh, and when she's shot, clone Leela feels it. So this so you said before they're psychically linked, mm-hmm. right? Is, that's our, okay. I was wondering at this point whether she and canine were were faking this that he got taken over uh, in order to to subvert the swarm. 
No, she he's really attacks her, but she only yep. like catches part of the blast and is only knocked out temporarily. Yep. Meanwhile, canine, and in this episode, it introduces the fact that we will, a fact we will see much very frequently later on that canine has limited power reserves. So if he's shooting things, he's going to run out of power. Okay. And and in this, he after he shoots Leela, he um he announces that he's going into uh, shutdown mode for self regeneration. And since he's a computer, the effect of that is he's rebooted himself. The virus <laughs> yep. is gone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Apparently, all that is kept in uh, RAM and not stored on the hard drive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Inside his brain, the doctor keeps referring to uh, concepts, non-physical realities, as if they were real. So, oh, over there's the imagination, and oh, that's the mind. You know, and when they're exactly. standing on the on the bridge between the left and the right brain, he says, "Oh, you can't see the other side because." That's the imagination. I'm thinking, well, that's not really how it works, but. Well, well, you got the mind-brain interface, which is what exactly? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I do like the fact that he stresses the mind and the brain are two entirely different things. Sure. They're mm -hmm. linked, but they're two different things. So he's got mind-body dualism. Right. Yeah. Right. So and however awkwardly we see it physically realized in this episode. Yeah. Well, um, and, and and the fact oh. is, though, that there is no physical mind-brain interface. The mind yes. is not one physical part, and the brain is not a different physical part. Where, yeah, that this is the where it plugs in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it is somewhat awkwardly realized because the brain set is wobbly, not only metaphorically but, <laughs> but literally. literally. <laughs> when they bump into it, it wobbles. Um, yes. We also get just like in Fantastic Voyage, we get some cool immune system attacks where right. uh, mm -hmm. these giant balls with white hair all over them attack uh, Leela and. Uh, the doctor says they're his phagocytes, so they're designed to eat invaders. Um, and he calls them off. I love the way he calls them off. Uh, he connects a couple of synapses in his brain by grabbing them and shoving them together. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and the phagocytes run off. And Leela says, what did you do? And he says, I think I told them my liver is disintegrating. So they had to rush <laughs> off to protect the liver. <laughs> Now, meanwhile, uh, Lo, the 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 infected uh, uh, supervisor from Titan, he, he has made his way into the, the the examination chamber where the doctor is and Marius is. Uh, he infects Marius, and uh, he makes him clone him, and then is injected into the doctor so he could hunt down the clones there and protect the nucleus. So Marius is now compromised and and helping right. the swarm. Right. The nurse gets away uh, here that she'll eventually connect it with Leela uh, and let her know what's going on. But uh, the doctor and Leela find or the doctor finds uh, the nucleus. Leela uh, realizes that Lo is following them inside the doctor's head, and so she goes off to to stop him. But the doctor finds the nucleus of the swarm, which is this. Sort of blob on the ground with an arm sticking out of the top. It's really yeah, an arm weird. with a claw. Yeah, it looks like a lobster claw. And uh, that we find out the swarm intends because now it has control of the doctor. It intends to dominate not just the space, literal physical space, but also which humans time. are about to conquer. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. But also so time through the doctor. Right. So the plan up to this point for the swarm has they've been waiting in space for eons and now humans have come and their their plan is we're going to infect the entire human race, at least all the ones smart enough to carry us. 
Um, <laughs> and and as they have the great breakout, we're going to take over all these planets. But now that the doctor has interfered, we've got his time machine. We can take over all of time, too. Right. And now uh, Leela, the clone Leela, has found Lo inside the doctor and they get into it. They have clone a little fight. Low. Yes, clone Lo. <laughs> and uh, he shoots her. Uh, she and she stabs him. And uh, the giant puffball phagocytes, they take Lolo and eat him. Um, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Marius, uh, um, the doctor, uh, the clone doctor and clone Lilo come out with the tear duct. Marius grabs them and restores them. But it well, turns out, well, he, gra- he he thinks he's grabbing them. But what he's really grabbing is the nucleus is making its yeah. way out. So the nucleus, so clone Doctor and clone Leela disintegrated at the end of their 10 minutes. And we right. even see the remnants of their clothing and hair and stuff there in the Doctor's brain. That's right. That's right. But the uh, but the, the nucleus learned from the Doctor the plan to get out the tear duct. So he leaves mm-hmm. through the tear duct. Marius scoops him up in the syringe yep. and then embiggens him and he becomes a giant. Uh, iridescent shrimp yeah giant yeah. hairy shrimp <laughs> really weird uh the and the, the doctor even refers to him as a pathetic crustacean yeah. <laughs> yeah. now the the doctor is uh cured at this point because the nucleus is no longer in him so his skin clears up yes mm-hmm. yes that so uh it, it's a great uh well he's cured but thing. also also when leela when clone leela disintegrated the antibodies that she carried transferred over to the doctor Right, which is why he's immune now. Okay, right, 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 right. That's what it is. Uh, and the nucleus now says it says because it's now big, it will no longer be forced to be invisible microbes. Um, and then uh, Leela has now dressed herself as a nurse. I didn't recognize her at first, frankly. Uh, I, I know she's also been using makeup to simulate the <laughs> the face scales and puffy yeah. eyebrows, so she can pass as an infected person. Yeah, the uh, the, the the infected uh, people must have really bad eyesight. <laughs> yeah, exactly, well, they've, they've got infection. all that stuff on their face, so uh, that's yeah. got to interfere. Right, right. <laughs> so she helps the doctor escape. They get to the TARDIS. Uh, meanwhile, K nine, who's been restored to himself, knocks out. The infected Marius uh, and the doctor and Leela isolate the antibody from Leela that cured the doctor, and they use it on Marius. So it wasn't her predator instinct and lack of intellect that really was kept uh, maybe, safe. Maybe correct. it was both, right? <laughs> so, but Marius is now back on team good, right yep. now. And the doctor again has made clear that he has no intention of killing the swarm, but he wants to stop them using this. Uh, Antibodies that they've they've mm-hmm. cultivated of uh, a particularly potent strain they've cultivated from Leela, and the doctor has to deliver it to the hive, which has now you know started to take over Titan. Yeah, so they got on a shuttle and they flew back to Titan, and that's then the doctor was able to go out and and cure Marius, and then produce more of the antibodies that they can then take to Titan, and right? Solve the problem supposedly. And Leela calls the doctor on, why are you willing to use these antibodies to kill the virus? I thought you didn't like killing, and we should just blow them all up. Right. And the doctor yeah. is is like, oh, that's your solution to everything. Knock it on the head. And he explains that um, he normally would not be willing to genocide a virus like this, but it's out of its natural realm now that it's mm-hmm. been embiggened. And so it, it will not only do its thing in the microscopic world, it's going to upset the balance of the world. 
and and that is a line which he will not allow to be crossed. So he is willing to to kill the swarm for that reason. Right. Yeah. Because at first he says the weapons are useless. I think it's all just an excuse because he screwed up and lost the antibody sample. Yeah. He, he drops it and, uh, and, and can't use it. So what he ends up having to do is uh, wire up an oxygen tank and a blaster to to shoot the the oxygen tank uh, when the breeding tank opens, and which is what he does. And since Titan has a methane atmosphere, boom, boom, <laughs> yes, a very big boom. Uh, and then as we we end the episode, so and K nine went with them. He was very important to the carrying out of the plan. Um, and there's a lot there's a lot of running around in this in this final part of the ep, you know of the well, story. And, and with well, with K nine, we hear we hear a phrase. You hear a lot of my power cells are going low. My power <laughs> yeah. reserves are low. Yes, That's, yeah, that that is one of the complaints about K nine. Is it all? It, he's he's great until like the crucial moment, and all of a sudden, I can't do any more power. I can't do my <laughs> blasters. I'm dead. You got to drag me out of here. He needs a bigger yeah. battery pack. <laughs> yeah. So. uh so I like I, how the doctor has a leash ready to snap on canine and drag him. Right, yeah. right. Yes, he's 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 right there. Uh, well, he must run out of power often enough. They probably has the leash attached. <laughs> so as we as we end the episode, you know, uh, the the Titan base has been destroyed. The aliens have been stopped for now, um, and the doctor and Leela go back to the Bial Foundation. They're dropping off canine, but Marius wants the doctor to take canine with him. Uh, you know, because uh, we need a new uh, companion. companion companion for the doctor in Leela. So, uh, and that's that's where we end things there. Um, and Marius gets the final line as the TARDIS dematerializes with Canine on board. I only hope he's TARDIS trained. <laughs> yes, mm. yes. Yeah, nice, uh, nice uh, dad joke there uh, to the writers. Yep. So, any other uh, notes the, on this episode the, from either of you? Father, uh, just one quick one. Uh, the both. The voice of the nucleus and K9 were both voiced by John Leeson, who voiced K9 through most of the appearances of, of Doctor Who, including um in New Who. New Who. Yeah. So the the one appearance where he shows up in New Who, uh John Leeson also voiced him. I'm trying to think if it was Leeson or the other actor who who voiced K9. I think it was I think it was Leeson, but I may be mistaken, who would actually during read throughs get down on all fours and I think and it was physically Leeson. act out canine. Oh, wow. I, I think I, I, I seem to recall seeing the the behind the scenes for the the, the school episode, the episode uh, knew who was Sarah Jane Smith, where he voiced him and they actually showed him like crawling on the floor as canine. <laughs> Interesting. That's 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 method acting. That's getting into it. Uh, of I. I had a couple of real quick notes. Um, I like at one point uh, when, you know, Leela's solution to everything is, you know, attack it. And the doctor says, should we try using our intelligence? And Leela says, well, if you think that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a little meta there. And then later on Titan in the final episode, she like totally knifes a guy in the neck. Yes. and, And kills him. And then she announces to the doctor when he comes up, I found the answer. Knife them in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, think you, could, you could do that. Or we could just blow everything up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then after after the doctor has blown everything up and has, has taken credit for it, Leela's like, didn't I say we should do that? Wasn't that my idea? And the doctor says, well, then you should be very happy. And she's like, <laughs> well, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there there's some uh, some good moments there uh with them. 
Yeah, it turns out Mar- uh, that's what it was I'm, I'm seeing here. Marius uh, tells the doctor that he has to return to Earth, and so he can't take Canine with him. So right. if the doctor would take him, I thought uh, at one point the doctor, when he was taking Canine into the TARDIS uh, for the final battle, that he was just going to take off with him at the end and steal the yep. dog. Mm. But uh, uh, thankfully, yeah. he was a gift. One thing they're, I did like that closing scene. They, they they showed their trick they always do with the camera, where you see canine rolling in. Well, of course the canine model can't roll into the TARDIS because there's the yep. lip there, right? So so they'll show it rolling towards the TARDIS, and then they pan the camera up so you can't actually see the dog stop <laughs> before the door. Uh-huh. Yeah, in this case, the doctor is the the doctor is standing in the only open door. The other door is closed. There is no way canine is going to get over that lift through that narrow space with only one door open and past the doctor who's standing in his way. <laughs> yeah. Right. So they just pan up and, and canine is instantly somehow in the TARDIS. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we finish up, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Dr. Who, including Andrew W, Chris M, Robert W, Stephen G and Brian M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. Uh, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of this story, The Invisible Enemy? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or The Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us some feedback there. Or you can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor story, one of the best, Silence in the Library, in the introduction of River Song. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. I'm glad to be here, and thank you. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, that is why my brain is so much superior to yours. Right. This is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs>